When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 42nd episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded right here in central London, just off historic Abbey Road. I gotta tell you, we're pretty excited about this one. This is a Rush doubleheader. It's easily the longest show that we've ever put out at about an hour and 45 minutes, so I hope you guys are buckled in and ready to dig into some Rush, because we got a couple of special features here today. First up, we're going to be reviewing the director's cut of Cinema Strangiato, which came out for one night only all around the world on September 9th, and you had to go see it in theaters, which is fun. I've seen Rush, I've seen A Farewell to Kings, and I saw the original Cinema Strangiato Strangiato in the theater, and it's a fun way to be able to get out, maybe not see a full-on concert, but be able to enjoy the songs and the band that you love in a fun environment and see other members of the Rush family who are out in force all over the world to see our heroes at least one more time. And we'll get into all that here shortly. But then after that, we're going to do a review of Roll the Bones, which hit the 30th anniversary milestone this month. Another amazing thing, because that's when we started college. Craziness that it's been 30 years since I started college. I know how old that makes us. But it reminds us of a really great time. Yes, grunge was coming out in the early 90s. But still, there were big bands like Rush doing some of their best work. And maybe some of it's overlooked now because grunge is all anybody ever really talks about from that time period. But Roll the Bones was a great album for Rush. And the tour was fantastic. It was the first time Jackson or I, either of us, ever got to see the band. And it really started a love affair of seeing the band live, which for me endured 11 more concerts after the Roll the Bones tour. So we hope you like it. We hope the Rush family enjoys what we have to say about our favorite band and the movie and the album Roll the Bones. Of course, we want you to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Download and subscribe at Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, wherever. You can check us out at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72. This is a long one, so let's dive right in. This is the Rush Doubleheader, Cinema Strangiato Director's Cut, and Roll the Bones 30th Anniversary Review right here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, 
Even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So tell me about, uh, you know, the movie. I mean, you went with your brother-in-law, and it's not it's not too bad of a drive. I mean, we, you know, was it half hours and 45 minutes? It's about a half hour down in Jacksonville. We got there half an hour early, mm-hmm. and we got to the movie theater, and it was like a graveyard. Yeah. There was no one there. Half the stuff was closed down. Like, they've got the, like, the restaurant thing. That wasn't open. So we got to the theater, and it was just the two of us sitting there. Like, oh, who else is going to be here? Well, Rush fans, fear not. That place was packed by the time that the thing started. Is that right? So, and, and, yeah, and most people had Rush paraphernalia on, you uh-huh. know, shirts, pins on. So... Yeah, it was it was definitely a communal experience, and the the Rush family was out in uh, in full force that night. And I think actually, I think the thing is too. My brother in law was telling me when I got the tickets, there was only one show. I think they added another show oh, in really? Jacksonville. Oh, yeah, later cool. show because you know they there were there were a bunch of different theaters around London, uh, and I went to one in Stratford because. That's at the end of the Jubilee line, and that's uh, the one that runs through St. John's Wood. Uh, I can also pick it up at Swiss Cottage, which is right nearby, but it, it kind of just goes to the end. So I figure, okay, that's just one train. I get on, I go to the end. And I was the same way. I went a half an hour early because I wanted to make sure I knew where I was going and, you know, get settled in, get some treats for the show. And, you know, I wanted to see who the other Rush fans were. And there weren't that many at our screening, man. I, I bet there weren't two dozen at the Stratford show. I had my whole row to myself. Oh, yeah, that was not the case there. Like I said, I thought we were going to be the only two people in there. But by showtime, it was, I don't know if it was totally full, but I mean, like, my row was totally filled and there were people coming in. So I was pleasantly surprised. I think everybody was in the same boat. Like, at this point in time, if you put Rush on it, that's all you're going to get. Right. These movie things. So, yeah, we're, the people are going to show up. That's the thing. You can't get real Rush anymore. There's no real cover or tribute bands out there worth seeing. I mean, who would want to see imitators anyway? And Getty and Alex can't really do much right now either. So, yeah, you give Rush fans an opportunity to finally see and hear Rush uh, and to get out of the house. Yeah, it's, uh, 
I, I jumped at it, obviously. And it was kind of a nice night. I went to this nice theater. I tell you, it was like a ghost town. I walked in the door and there's nobody there. There's nobody like, even like an usher. There's nobody. It's, it's just empty. So I walked down there. There's a girl behind the concession stand and I get a popcorn and a water and then I go upstairs to the theaters. Now, technically nobody ever took my ticket even. When I walked up there, there was a girl by a podium saying, all right, I got this. Here's my little, because I, I didn't have a physical ticket. I had the on my phone. Yeah. So I said, here's my thing to rush. She goes, well, that didn't start for half an hour. You want to go to the bar? And I'm like, yes, yes, I do indeed. So it's still a bit of a novelty to go to a... <laughs> <laughs> to go to a movie theater with a bar in it. So uh, so I did so. And they had a balcony where you could be outside. So I sat outside and had a beer. Met some of the other fans. There weren't that many. But I met a guy who's lived here for 20 years. And he said he saw him for the first time on the Permanent Waves tour. I'm like, oh, man. That's, okay. that's going back. That's that's what I want to see at a show like this, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, I think that was my brother-in-law's first tour also was permanent waves so yeah we did a little reminiscing in the car on the way there we talked to kind of not not a whole bunch of uh conversation but a little bit with a couple other people there conversation is always about the same well how many times have you seen them what was the first time what's your favorite song what's your favorite album mm-hmm. and so yeah it, that that never gets old but i don't know like i it, i kind of pushed all of that to the back of my mind i'm like okay you know here we go we're gonna see rush the movie starts and right off the bat in memory of Neil Elward Peart, and oh, that's right. He's not coming back. This is all we're going to get. Okay, so... That was a little bittersweet at the beginning, but the but the lead up was pretty cool because, like I said, that's the closest we're going to get to an actual Rush concert. Mm-hmm. So it was it was fun to be in the theater and at least see it on a big screen and hear it with the you know surround sound. Yeah, the sound was great. And it was mm-hmm. at first it was almost like being in a concert. That at first it's a little loud and you're like you got to get your ears and your body kind of attuned to it at first. Yeah. That's what it's supposed to be, right? You want to hear this loud, so you know you get into it. And you know, obviously, I'd seen this before, but this was the director's cut, and it had a little bit more of a sound check in it. It had more interviews and, and interviews interspersed in the middle with it too, and, and did play some songs that they didn't play in the first one because you're not going to make it super long. Uh, but you know, this was a good two and a half hour runtime here. More than that, right? Right. Yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised on the runtime. I did like the interviews to see the people that are big time musicians now mm-hmm. who are were inspired by Rush. It's all, and the thing is, it's all over the map too. It's not just like. You know, like if you ask the Kiss fans, mm-hmm. you, it's probably going to be the same. Anthrax, the the hard rock, heavy metal guys, Rush is all over the map. You had everybody from you know Taylor Hawkins to Billy Corrigan to mm-hmm. Tom Morello, all of these, and they love Rush. In fact, I think Morello said he even married his wife because she's a big Rush fan. Yeah, and then they did that thing like, and what I and what I love about Rush too is when he was talking about his wife being a Rush fan. They put up a counter on the screen, like now we have forty-five female fans, female or something fans. like that. Like, hooray! <laughs> no, I was that's just going to say it shows they can they, they still have a sense of humor. They can make fun of themselves. And, and, and I think that's the big thing about Rush is that they were always just three goofy dudes who got to good hang out together play this music and create this community where you can be silly and but still play really cool music and. 
sell out arenas your entire career. Yeah. And then when people do get to be at the top of their game in their field, entertainers like a Paul Rudd or a Jason Segel or the Trailer Park Boys guys. Always nice to see the Trailer Park Boys. Those guys are around, you know. Having some fun. Jay Baruchel, who kind of played it the, when they're doing the, the Clockwork Angels thing. You know, yeah. Obviously, they're kind of like royalty in Canada. But, I mean, to talented people, game recognizes game. And that's why you'll see them on, you know, their music featured in South Park or something like that or wherever because once you make it you want to share part of what has formed you over the years right and and I think it's cool because you can even if you don't know this person you've never met them before if they've got some that connection you can talk to them and I think those guys are the same way too they're not the same musical genre but you know you grew up oh what was your first he goes right back to oh, when did you first listen to them what's your first record you bought what's your favorite record how many times have you seen them and so the conversation just flows very easily from that first connection and just watch them because they've done the different you know through the time machine through R30 over the years they had filmed some funny different clips basically of themselves a lot of times they would play this stuff during the break between set one and set two so the guys can get a break but the audience continues to be entertained and it's you know neil parrot is a as an irish beat cop and you know, <laughs> you know getty is a scottish you know uh butcher and alex is god knows what just <laughs> yeah that's and that's what we were talking about before when we first saw them they had primus open for them mm-hmm. right they had opening bands it was so much better when they switched just to the an evening with rush you know you get something you get that film stuff mm-hmm. you get the the band and then yeah that's all i want to see i'm sorry other band all i want to see is rush and with the stuff that they're bringing out yeah and they get longer sets anyway and then you know you save the money they can put it into the stage you know mm-hmm. and of course on on this stage or the or the effects you know the pyro the, the the monitor you know whatever it was inflatables back in the day it was all part of rush over the years and of course this stage was they're going they still kind of went back in time on this so they were pulling and they've got wash and dryers and stuff on stage but then they build up these big Marshall stacks to the days when that's what they were playing in, and they strip it back down over time so there's kind of roadies in the background taking them from space age to back to like the hard rock days to back to the early days when they're their kids were actually pretty small. And it, so there's there's always, there's more going on than just the music, which is amazing because I'm thinking here, I'm watching this, I'm like, how did these three guys, listen to all the sound they're getting out of the three of them. It's like, I've seen the dead with six people on stage and there's a lot going on, but there's not this much sonically coming at you as these three is half the people. Right, right. And, and to have someone who can, I mean, I can barely walk and chew gum at the same time. And you've got somebody who can play the, bass, sing, and play the keyboards all at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredible. And and I think Alex doesn't get enough credit. He's got that giant pedal board on the uh, on the floor and he's messing around. And then you've got Neil in the back. I mean, nobody would ever say that he's not working hard. But yeah, to, to get that much sound out of three people is pretty incredible. And the one thing that we were talking about in the car on the way home is that they make it look effortless. It's not effortless. It's extremely difficult to play these songs, but you'd never know it. 
by they, looking at them. They're just kind of like boop, 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 boop. I know. They even trigger like the sound effects themselves. I mean, Neil's back there. He's got that board where he can hit, you know, and, and hit the, the mechanical sounds. Alex even, I'm pretty sure I was watching him on, was it Subdivisions? He steps up and presses a pedal to have Subdivisions. Right. Correct. He, he doesn't sing. Yeah, he, and he was like, he had to run up there in time to get there. So he had to remember what time the song it was. I'm like, that's exactly what he just did. He just pressed the Subdivisions button, you know, on his paddle and you could you could have somebody backstage that you'd never see that that controlled all of that mm-hmm. like on a big boat but they don't yeah they do it all themselves and then they're playing they're playing tom sawyer and he says you know he gets high and alex is doing the smoking thing mm-hmm. and then he you know no 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 you know say no to drugs and then he says maybe just a little bit <laughs> but it's like but you're but you're playing the song it's not like you're standing around just i mean you so you can do all that and fool around with the audience like like it's nothing it's it's insane and the other cool thing was too they they i know that they they put in jacob's ladder at mm. the beginning from the sound check and right. that was cool you get an extra track but you also get to see them i mean that sound tr- that sound check is part of the concert i mean it's they're not messing around they play that as if they were playing it to an audience right then now getty may reserve his vocals a bit during sound check but but no i i was in total agreement with you there i'm like i know getty's holding back because that's just smart in sound check but the rest of them and playing their instruments they're not they're in perfect time they're all together they're going down the, the tracks together there so and it was in they showed it at like 20 different places or whatever what we heard was probably just one not right, 20 correct. of them snipped together, but, you know, they showed it every night, you know, doing that warm up every night. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. And yeah, just and just the level of musicianship. And it, it is cool to see because they, they that's kind of a forgotten track that they don't get to play all the time. So it was cool. It was cool to just hear the track itself. I agree. Fun stuff. Do you, you want to walk through some of your favorite moments? The songs are like, let's walk through the, the movie a little bit here. I think we should just walk through the movie because I, I mean, pretty much the whole thing. I, I didn't hear any. There weren't any low spots in it for me. Even the interview parts were really cool. Oh, yeah. The, the one thing that I noticed right off the bat is that that whoever does the tech for Alex and Getty and Neil also, because they switched out the entire drum set at one point in time, but I don't think I saw Alex Lifeson play the same guitar for more than one track. Mm-hmm. He, they just kept coming. So you have to, like if you're, if you're the tech where it's like, if something breaks, I need you. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. But this is like, this is coordinated. Like I know at the end, I've got to have whatever the next one is ready to roll. And you can see them a couple of times in the dark, passing them and then back to the next one. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I would, I would have to have seen that part. I mean, make the movie four hours. I don't care just to see the amount of gear that they've got and to have it all timed perfectly. Cause if you hand them the wrong one, it could be tuned differently. It could be, you know, there could be something up with it. You might like say he might need a whammy bar for it that mm-hmm. you don't have. It's got to be exact. So that's what, that's the first thing that really struck me as wow, there is a lot, lot of stuff they bring with them. That's, that's fair enough, Jackson. Yeah. I mean, uh, and they, uh, well, they have to, I mean, you know, I was looking at Getty's stand because they switched out his keyboard at some point Correct. too, right? He's got the big yeah. keyboard. But they didn't take away his pedals. I'm like, because the pedals down there are still the way he plays the keyboard with his feet when he's busy playing the bass. And I don't know what those things are, but looking at them, it looks like some kind of old school, like uh, an organ from a church or something. These yeah. things got to be ancient. But I think if it's it works, I like it. Don't mess with it. So you're right. They never touch those, except for maybe at the very end when they were down to like the high school. Right. They really didn't need them anymore. 
Correct. Yeah. yeah. But you know, the thing is, they did put more into this. I mean, obviously, you know, I went to this concert and they play like, I don't know, it depends on how you count 2112 in a way, but you know, they play like, let's say, 23, 24 songs during the, the concert. The original movie, not the one we saw on Thursday, but the original movie only had 17 tracks on it you know, to okay. make it more palatable as far as the length of the show goes. This was the director's cut that not only had more interviews, and of course we talked about the, the warm-up and the sound check, but they put stuff back in that maybe didn't make final cut in the original theatrical release. So that's pretty cool in that we basically got the whole show back. Yeah, and and it was cool because I think, what was the one, that the one with the violin? Losing it. Yeah, and, and just to hear the whole story, and they played that after Roll the Bones, and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy's name is Dinklage, and Peter Dinklage was in the Roll the Bones rap part. They've got to be, and my brother's like, yeah, they're brothers. I'm like, son of a, that's Rush for you right there. Mm-hmm. Goodness gracious. And to think that this kid was sitting, like he was a nerdy kid. Let's face it, a lot of us were nerdy kids. He played the violin. He was like, wow, does Rush have a violin part? <gasps> I'm so excited and he learned it and to get to play it on stage with them. And what he was, it, and you know, he's a professional musician. He's talking about it's in a whack key and a whack time signature. Mm-hmm. But all right, here we go. And just to see that was really cool because they were, they were, very, he said they were very gracious to him. But to have that, you know, just a fanboy out because he was part of the the Clockwork Angels deal. So he, they knew him from prior years. Mm-hmm. But still, to have that connection is pretty cool. And then to have his brother do the the other part was pretty cool also. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, Peter Dinklage is great. You know, it doesn't surprise me that he'd be a Rush fan either. You know, it didn't either. When when they ran through that, I'm like, yeah, perfect. Like, of course, all these people are right. And it was cool to see him do that instead of the head with the, the skull head. Yes. That was pretty cool. Way better. You know, had the Trailer yeah. Park Boys in there, had yes. Paul and Jason back there. The way it should be, you know. And, and then and you get Eugene Levy to, to do stuff for you. And you get um, hey, Frank these kids Costanza. Are gonna, <laughs> these, kids are, these kids are going to be big. They open for Kiss twice. Twice. <laughs> that was hilarious. But, and, of course, the Trailer Park Boys. But, unfortunately, they, apparently they didn't get paid to do this. So they were very upset. They got hoodwinked right. by the band. It's just, um, it's just, yeah, they, they called it the annual fan indulgence. And I think that's exactly what this is. That's exactly what you want. Just give me, just open the vault and let me see something. Yeah, no. Whatever. Obviously, now that's, this is going to be part of what they do. This is going to be part of their legacy going forward. They're going to have to release movies and stuff like this because there is no right. tour. You got to give fans something. And uh, I don't know. I mean, is there any film footage? From like uh, the all the world's a stage days or from the exit stage left days? I, I don't know. They did at the very end, they played a couple of short pieces and, and it was old footage, you know, from like the, the early 70s and not mm-hmm. early 70s, but like the early part of the, of the band. I don't know. That would be fantastic if they had that. I mean, it, because at this point in time, you can take old footage and really digitally clean it up. Mm-hmm. So maybe if you had somebody like, eh, the sound's off or whatever, we can fix all of that. So yeah, that would be fantastic if they, yeah. I mean, could you imagine a full 2112 show from back in the day when that was 
Yeah, you know, that's what I'm thinking. Remember when Led Zeppelin, maybe 20 years ago-ish, released their DVD that had all the stuff. had like Nebworth in it and had Earl's Court and, you know, videos and stuff. Rush could probably do something like that from all those different things we've seen all over the years. I know they've put out some great DVDs. I own them all. Uh, and there's they have the snippets in there. But I don't know. It's, it's, it'd be fun to find out if they do and, and are working on that. Because the thing about Rush is they don't have, like, B-sides. They don't have a lot of finished tracks that didn't go, if any, that didn't go on. They're like, you know, we worked on things until they were done. If we couldn't finish them, we would abandon them. So there might be some snippets of stuff that is completely unfinished, but there are no like B-sides or songs or like, you know, like the Stones will have five or six songs laying around from, right. from 1973 or from the Goat Said Soup days that just never made it out. Rush isn't like that. But if there's performances, video performances of them, that's stuff that I think the public would love to learn about. Absolutely. And, and like you said, because there's not going to be another concert, anything concert related, and it, the fact that they can do it like this, they can simulcast it, I think the Rush fans would eat it up because they need something every once in a while. You can't just have, oh, that's it, end of story. And it was interesting, too, because Tom Morello was talking about they never – they didn't follow any trends and they didn't set any trends. <laughs> follow the trends I'll give you, but set trends? No, I think they did. I think they were at least is what you aspire to be. You aspire to have this band that's tight, that's mm-hmm. just the three of them against the world and, you know, kind of being able to do their own thing, you know, that followed down, but then also still kind of fit into what else was going on. Like we were talking about with Roll the Bones. I mean, that was 91. Mm-hmm. That played on the radio. That played on MTV and fit in with everything else. It wasn't like, oh, what is this? This is weird. So I don't know. I think I think that most people would want to have a community and a legacy like Rush, even oh, yeah. if you don't sound like them. Absolutely. Who wouldn't want to have a, a legacy like Rush? And such rabid fans you know who will eat up everything they do and but- the other weird part too was when they went into the rock and roll hall of fame i remember that mm-hmm. thinking this is so weird to just see them standing there there's no so and so died mm-hmm. so and so not talking to anybody else you know mm-hmm. though that guy hasn't been there for a while like when journey went in like steve like steve perry's not even in the band they got a guy who's a basically just the cover version of you in the band now with them, it's just, hey, what's up? We're just, just three of we're them. Just here. We're just doing our, yep, just the three of us. Any, inter- any internal tensions? Not really. Everybody's cool. Well, what's amazing, because we, we're talking about Roll of the Bones, the 30th anniversary, and going to review that kind of later in the show. But what I didn't realize was what a big month September was for the band here, Jackson. I, I, I just didn't realize it. Well, first of all, it's, it's Neil Peart's 69th birthday. Is, you know, we're kind of recording this and obviously want to light a candle for him today on his birthday. And, and you know, they released this director's cut here in September. But if you look back in time, what they've released in September, Caress of Steel, came out 46 years ago on September 24th. That's that's unbelievable. That was such a long time ago. A Farewell to Kings was September 1st in 1977. We've already had the 40th anniversary and 40th edition of Farewell to Kings. Signals came out September 9th, 39 years ago. I got a feeling in about 51 or 52 weeks, we're going to be doing a 40th anniversary of the Signals album on this show. What else? Hold Your Fire, 1987. So that that's 30, 
four years since Hold Your Fire came out, if you can believe that. Roll the Bones, obviously, uh, is 30th. And Test for Echo came out on the 10th of September. Back in, it's been 25 years, if you can believe that. 25 years since Test for Echo. I can't, if you if you tell me about those 80s albums, yeah, okay. But yeah, when Test for, no, no, that just, didn't that just come out? No, dude, 25 years ago. Wake up. Yeah. Life is going by. All the World's a Stage came out September 29th. 45 years ago this month, man. Holy mackerel. Not to mention the all-important-to-us Chronicles came Uh, out September 4th in our senior year of high school and was one of the major soundtracks to my senior year. And then obviously was important once we met because we, I, you know, we played that a lot. And then, you know, we'll, we'll talk about when we went to see Roll the Bones tour. But uh, so September has been monumental for Rush. A lot of anniversaries this month in Rush's history. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing too, is if you go back and look at it, other than I know Neil had the the personal stuff in the early 2000s, I think, mm-hmm. but other than, and then, they, so they kind of took a break there. But other than that, I mean, they were pretty solid with their releases all throughout the 80s into the 90s and then 2000s. They never really took a break at all, which is insane to me. Just hard, just guys who just want to grind it out and play as many shows as possible. Absolutely. All right. So let's get into the picture a bit. All right. Now, if you start with, I mean, was it three? It was the Anarchist, if I'm not mistaken, the Headlong Flight song. And then, did they play Clockwork Angels in there? Or did they play Uh, Far Cry? I feel like there were three songs before they got to, was it One Little Victory? Yeah, I'm trying. I mean, do you have the set list in front of you? I'm trying to think. The, The cool part is about that. They didn't start with like Tom Sawyer. Like this was really a fan deal at the beginning because yeah I don't think there were many people that outside of the Rush hardcore fans that would even have heard of the like what what is this where's the Tom Sawyer song let's go well see I have the set list of the original movie I can't for the life of me find the set list for the director's cut anywhere. Yeah, I was looking for the same thing. I'm like, come on, where is this? It's I need it. I got to be some go place, you know, because uh, yeah. I couldn't remember everything that, you know, went that that went on there. I did, I'm not sitting there writing down during the, during the movie. I'm trying to relax and enjoy myself. But I, it was... Anarchist and Headlong Flight, and I feel like there was a third. There was um, a third. There was a third track in there. That's correct. Like like Main Monkey Business. I don't think it was Clockwork Angels and Far Cry. I would have remembered. So anyway, uh, but but you know, I'm thinking here because these these are songs Latter Day that I don't love. Right. I mean, I thought Snakes and Arrows was a good album overall. The Clockwork Angels was. I don't know. It kind of disappoints me in the, that that is the last Rush album. To be honest with you, I know a lot of people thought it was this huge return to form as a concept biggest concept since 2112 I know when they brought all the strings out and everything to perform almost all of that album on tour of course I saw it but that wasn't of the 12 times I've seen them that was probably my least favorite to be honest with you because they played so much new stuff that not only was I not familiar with, but I didn't love. And so while it was good to get them to stretch, to get my ears ready with these songs that I don't necessarily know, it was like three songs. And I'm like, yeah, this is not showing off their best, in my opinion, you know? Yeah, but but it is cool to hear, because because I was reading this whole thing about Kiss and people getting upset because it's always the same set list over and over again. And Kiss says, well, you know, the casual fan doesn't know the deep cuts or whatever, but... It is cool to hear them do other stuff. It may not be your favorite, mm-hmm. but it, it's just something different. And I think they've always been the kind of people that are like, we're going to play what we're going to play. And either you love it or you don't, but we're not, they're just not going out there and doing the greatest hits. 
Right, and they, they're going back in time, so they're starting yeah. with the most recent stuff. And I, I don't know, I, I probably would have picked different songs, but hey, these are the ones they like. It's not mm-hmm. like they played them poorly. Right, yeah, exactly. You know, me being of a certain age, I'm just like, hey, let's get to the... <laughs> Let's get to the meat that I really like. It's about me. It's not about you. Uh, I'm the one paying for the ticket. But no, you know, that's... that. And then they did one little victory, right? Right. I, well, I like did. this song. They didn't? Yeah. They, well, no, no, no. They did... They Because you're saying back in time, they did, they did animate, which that's a song where... That's like... If you ever listen to that song on the album cut... It's one of my fantasy deals where, because Neil counts it in, mm-hmm. and then he just hits that drum beat. I'm like, man, how cool would that be to just sit down at a drum kit like and just start pounding that? Like, mm, 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 mm. So yeah, I, that's that. I like that song. It's a little long, and the high parts are a little bit of a stretch for Getty now. But like, it's cool to hear something off Counterparts because I think that that album kind of gets lost in the in the catalog. Like it, it's. It does. Yeah. It does. I mean, to me, it's not... If it's Sector 4, when you do the the four studio albums and then your live album, which would end with different stages for them, it's it's my least favorite of those four. And it would just seem like such a letdown after Roll the Bones to me. But we can talk more about that later. Um, But but one little victory, though. See, that, that return... Uh, of Rush, which I was so thankful for, right, with Vapor Trails, was we didn't really know if it was ever going to happen. Right. And because of, of Neil's personal losses of his wife and his daughter. I was just so glad to have him back, and seeing him live was great, but I just remember thinking it was aggressive, and it was... Again, it, it wasn't my favorite record, and I have never listened to the remastered, kind of remixed version of that record. Have you? Not really. No, it, it kind of that's another one that kind of gets lost a little bit for me. But you know, then to me, it, it changes when it gets to Roll the Bones, just because of what, how big that album was to us, camping out to get tickets, seeing our first Rush show. Even though it's kind of a weird thing. And like you say, take away the skeleton and you get the famous friends to come in and do the rap part on the big screen. That that was fun. Right. And and that was kind of a change of pace in the movie too, because you had the you had the you know, the little the tribute to Neil and then you had the warm up and they, they played a couple of songs, but then they go they, they go to the trailer park boys in the trailer and you say, Okay, now we're getting into the silliness yes. that we all know and love and how, you know, come on over here. And now they're all bent out of shape because they're not getting paid and this is crap. And then they go into the song and to see everybody else there, Paul Rudd, you know, and I just remember that the, did you, you, you saw that movie, right? The, I love, I you, love man. you, man. I of course. Yeah. Is that my sandwich? Don't Neil sandwich. Don't ever touch. That's fine. He's got enough. I mean, that's just, they're just silly guys. And they, and so that was, that was kind of a nice mood change in the movie. Absolutely. No, no doubt about it. But then we kind of start to get into the fun part for me. Yeah. Um, Distant Early Warning was on that tour, and I, I saw them play it. They did sub out Losing It sometimes for that, and I want to talk a little bit more about Losing It. But to me, still the highlight is when they do Between the Wheels. To me, Between okay. the Wheels is the best latter-day rush song the best after certainly after subdivisions certainly after signals i think it's the best song they did and i didn't know it i'm not one of those guys like once i know rush like i had chronicles well now i gotta go buy all the other albums Nah, i'll buy one here and there 
I'll digest those. I always want to have something in the future to listen to. I've never really listened to Caress of Steel all the way through. I've, I've never really listened to the first John Rutsey album all the way, like intently sat down to listen to it. I've had it on in the background, but never really done that. I always want to have something in the future to look forward to. And Grace Under Pressure is one that I eventually picked up, but it, I picked it up because Rush has been playing between the wheels a lot over the last... 15 years of their touring life, 15, 20 years, and I didn't know it. It's never been played on the radio. It wasn't on Chronicles, so I didn't know it. And when they brought it back, and I'm like, wow, that song's really good. And then I went out and got the record, and I, I got you know the anniversary one that I think includes the, uh, the live disc from back then. But I think it's the best Rush song of the last 38 years, something like that. And live, it's unbelievable. And for all the people who left Rush once they got a little too keyboardy and techno in the 80s, if you miss Between the Wheels, this is amazing. Neil's drum work on it is insane. And the other guys get their places too. Alex's solo builds up properly in it. Getty is doing his thing with the bass and his feet and his vocals. It's it's the best Rush song that people don't know very well. And I think... That is why we are here. Because to me, there's nothing better than that. Yeah, I'm a fan, right? I, I love this. You know, I, I, I listen to them. And then you hear that song, you're like, wait, what is this? It's called Between the Wheel. And what happens on it? Grace Hunter. I've never heard of that before. Why have I never heard this? And then you go and you listen to it. It's like you find, it's like you, you know, you kind of trip and you fall and you find this treasure on the floor. What is this? How come no one ever told me about this? And that's really what's cool about a band like Rush is that they can go back and pull out a song like this, put it into the into the rotation, and people can say, yeah, this is great. I love this song. This is my favorite. Oh, you know, it's one of the hit. No, you've probably never heard this before because it never made a greatest hits compilation. It was never on the radio. Right. That is the best to me. I love finding songs like that where you just, you're almost, you're happy, but you're almost mad at the same time. Like, why did I wait this long to hear this song? Well, they must realize it too, because it's not like they just did it on a one-off. They, they've been doing this. They did it most of the last 15, 20 years of their career. Right. So they knew that they're all hitting on all cylinders there and it's about oh it's about all sorts of things it's about cold war and death and destruction nuclear annihilation it's also about economic disparity and all sorts of fears that living in the 80s brought to folks and I don't know it's I, I think it's one of their very best it wasn't in the original picture did they sub it out they didn't have did they have did, I, I don't think this early warning was in what we saw um, no it wasn't it wasn't okay but it wasn't <laughs> the first one so yeah they, they subbed this for that Great substitution. Unbelievable. See, now I'm going to absolutely buy the director's cut on DVD because of that. And there, and there you go. And that's, and that's, I, I think that I did not see the original movie, the original cut of this. So would you say that if you, this was worth it? It kind of sounds like it was the, the redo. I say so, yeah. I mean, okay. I'm a freak. I'm a huge Rush fan. If they just put out three more minutes, I'd probably go see it. But if they, when they release the DVD, I probably wouldn't buy three minutes worth of a new DVD. But uh, I'll get this one for sure because it's great. Yeah. To me, when you, when you do, and I don't care what it is, a director's cut, it has to be different enough where you say, oh, okay. Not like, oh, no, no, no. In this one scene, there was an extra second and a half. What? No. It has to be different enough so it's almost 
two different experiences, which it sounds like it was on this one. Yeah, when I saw him in Chicago at the United Center on this tour, they did Distant Early Warning. Because uh, I remember, because after Subdivisions, they took a break. And, you know, a guy a few rows behind me was like, Distant Early Warning was cool. And I turned around, yes, Distant Early Warning was cool, man. That was awesome. That was worth the price of admission. But, uh, but Subdivisions, obviously, is a huge Rush song big to their catalog. It disappointed me in the movie. Somebody's bass was too distorted and it wasn't the actual Getty bass. It was either Alex's guitar was Getty's keyboard, but something to me, it was just a little too late. It, it kind of took away from my pure enjoyment of it because like the sound is just a little too off. It's, huh. hitting, it, it's, it's just crunching out. It's hitting the red too much on that bass to me. Yeah. Yeah. I have to go back and take a look. I will obviously watch this again, but it's interesting that you say that because Everything else was perfect. It really was. The they, they spend so much time on that. I wonder if so, something, for whatever reason, was off on that. Interesting. Or maybe that's they wanted it to feel almost heavy. You know, it was like the suburbs are laying on top of you. <clears throat> it just, yeah. It was hitting. It was like one of their speakers was blown and they didn't know it or something like that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'll listen to it again because I didn't pick up on that. But I mean, there was so much going on in that movie, and I was, I was kind of, you know, you say you want to just sit back and relax. I was the other thing. I'm like, I wanted to pause it every time. Let me write that down. Okay, well, that's a good point. Okay, mm -hmm. go again. Or you know, the, I remembered how much I hate going to movie theaters because I'm like, first of all, I want, I want to stop it. I want to go back. I want to watch the other part again. I want to go get another something to drink. Right. I'm make uh, notes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's. I mean, I'll sit there and make a zillion things and notes just to so I don't forget anything. But yeah. But on the on the flip side, to hear the sound, I don't have that sound at my house, and I don't have a screen that big, so mm -hmm. that was pretty cool. Yeah. Exactly. That's the fun part, you know. And then they when they they do the break in between sets. And you know they'll have uh, Frank. This is Frank Costanza <laughs> moving to Del Boca Vista. Gonna see us on the shuffleboard courts. <laughs> uh, that was another one too. Yeah. R.I.P. Jerry Stiller. That's right. Jerry's not with us anymore. Uh, so uh, I guess I didn't think about that. But yeah, good to see he was still included in all that. Correct. Um, but but then they do you know they do Tom Sawyer of course. In this version, they throw in Red Barchetta. In the original, it was YYZ. And they had Taylor Hawkins talking about YYZ, but um, they, they threw in Red Barchetta on this one. I appreciated that, actually. I mean, to me, I love YYZ and all, uh, but and you've got to do more than one from moving pictures. You have to do Tom Sawyer. And some people would be happy if you did all of, all of moving pictures, which they did. A few years back, went through the whole thing in its entirety. But you have to include more than one. So I guess they switched it up a little bit. And they gave us Red Barchetta instead of YYZ. And it was great. It was a real crowd pleaser to the, the 21 people or however many were in my theater. Well... Yeah. I mean, I love YYZ. Red Barchetta is not my favorite. So when they drop the moving pictures backdrop, I'm like, oh, are they going to play Limelight? And they didn't play Limelight. Yeah. But I liked it. I like the thing about Taylor Hawkins talking about how, you know, he was so excited, you know, ting, 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 ting. Okay, slow down, jackass. Let's go. <laughs> what are you doing back there? And the whole thing about how, like, he's talking a mile a minute and Neil is just sitting there like he's the professor. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I thought you were... 
I thought you were smarter than that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, just like that, kind of like that disappointed, but he was the dude that you knew. And, and I've talked about this before. He's the guy that's got the black belt that doesn't need to go pick and fights with people. He just sits there like, you know, just not say a word, but you know that with the, you know, one drumstick, he could out drum pretty much everybody on the face of the earth, but he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to show off or anything. You know, you just know he's the best. That's right. If you were just to let him go, you would just, you probably just take your drum and throw them in the trash and say, I can never do this. Please, I'm sorry I even tried. Yes, I, I apologize, Master. Yeah, but you know, honestly, I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Red Barchetta, but that was a really good version of it. I thought they had, they, they kind of had the animation in the back of the car and everything. Mm-hmm. That was that was pretty cool. And then you're right, that is a big fan favorite. I did like that the they do the the South Park deal at the beginning of Tom Sawyer. That's <laughs> yeah. fantastic. I'm gonna leave. I'll send the lyrics where I want. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> going home. And yeah, and a one, two, three, and a one, two, three. And then they really go into it, and the crowd just blips out. And even I'm sitting in a theater. I know I'm not watching it live, but, you know, you, you just get goosebumps when right. you hear that, that you know, the, the keyboard intro and then the drums. And you're like, oh, I know what this is. Yeah, that's it's, it's pretty powerful. I think that that's, that's probably one of their biggest songs that was ever played on the radio or whatever, but it's still a, it's still a, it's not one of those ones where the hardcore Rush fans are like, oh, boo, this song again. Mm-hmm. Everybody really loves that. Yeah, you remember when we saw on Roll the Bones, they played Superconductor right before Tom Sawyer. And for that, they had to blow up rabbits coming out of the hats left right. over from the Presto tour. And then, so they went, boom. For, for Tom Sawyer they started to, to yank him so it was like the, the rabbits were kind of yeah, like yeah, yeah. dancing to the beat of Tom Sawyer <laughs> that made it kind of fun you know that was good stuff but and then you know Spirit of the Radio huge huge hit and you've got people clapping over their hands during the first chorus and then clapping with yeah. their fingers on the second yes. chorus the Getty has led them that way for years it's a classic I mean it's no it's not a deep cut it's a big hit it's a feel good big hit begin the day with a friendly voice a companion unobtrusive it's a great song man it's so much fun to play live and when they went into concert hall and they turned the, the lights, lights on, on yep. everybody in the theater cheered I mean <laughs> like wait a minute we're not really there yeah we kind of are so yeah that's a big I remember that's I love that part it's I know it's going to happen but it's just cool because it I think more than anything else and, and he says it at the end you know thank you so much they understand that the reason that they're there the reason that they can do what they've done mm-hmm. for all those years is because of the fans and they they will go the extra mile for them. They'll they just they seem to really appreciate that. They absolutely the Rush fans are loyal. They're hardcore and they're appreciative. When you do something for them, they dig it. They reward you with loyalty and love. That's kind of what it's all about. But uh, it, it, later in the set, I mean, I feel like my favorite. I mean, they go into they do sickness. They do closer to the heart. But Xanadu for me, I don't know why. I, I guess I heard it a lot on Exit Stage Left. But the different time changes and the Getty bass. Yeah. That to me is quintessential Rush. It's one of their longer ones. It's ethereal and otherworldly, it's, but it's also very heavy. I don't know. To, to me, that was kind of like the highlight of the second half of the show to me. Yeah, that's that's kind of right. I, I think where they kind of really hit their stride as Rush being what you would know them today, or their signature pieces. 
so yeah that was cool to hear and you're right we that it is a great version on uh on the live record and then the, you know and then of course doing all of 2112 is always going to be crowd favorite i mean ripping through that Correct. whole thing or at least you know i mean maybe not all the of the highlights yeah i mean one two four seven you know whatever parts that are that fit for them. The Temples of Syrinx, part of it. Yeah. Big time. Good stuff. Uh, and to be honest with you, I mean, when you get to the end, I like what you're doing. Obviously, you end with the working man when they're down to just, you know, a couple of little silly amps and a drum kit. I don't know. I mean, I, I love the the Eugene Levy part before before the encore. Kind of, you know, yeah, where they gonna... do Lakeside Park and stuff like that. Well, I, like, I like that part because... It was down to like just kind of bare bones. There was mm-hmm. no more keyboard. There was just it, it was more like the the beginning days. And I there was something going on there when they did. It wasn't Lakeside Park, but it was the next song that they did. I think Anthem. Yeah, maybe. And I'd have to go back and look at it again. But they did like a ZZ Top thing. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's going on? They brought out, Alex was playing a Telecaster Mm -hmm. that had pink swirlies on it and Getty had exactly the same bass. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's ZZ Top right there because they do that all the time where they play the same, they've got the same deal, Billy and um, Dusty. Mm -hmm. And it was only one song and I'm like, was that a, I've never seen them do that before. Was that a, I saw it too. Okay, yeah, you're right. I'm like, that, yeah. you know, I'm like, since when did they ever did that? Because my favorite part, and I think it was in Xanadu, was when Getty was playing the double neck Rickenbacker, the bass on top and the guitar on the bottom. And uh-huh. Alex was playing the double neck Gibson. Yes. White Gibson. Uh, and I'm like, because that's them back in the day. They used to play that stuff and it just looks cool. But they did play, both of them played both necks during the song. Mike, that's awesome. Well, that was that was going to be my, and I knew they were going to do it because that's Rush. But I'm like, that would be my big pet peeve when you know you see these things. I'm like, they didn't, you didn't even play half of that thing. You didn't even play the one neck. Why did you even bring that out? No, they both, you know, Alex went back and forth on the two neck. That's one of the coolest guitars. I don't even know what they call it. It's that double SG. Yeah, Jimmy Page had it. Don Felder had one in white. It's like 1250 is the number. I'm not sure what the letters are. It's like a GS 1250. Or an SG twelve fifty, something like that. But even standing still, even if you never played it, you just had it around your neck. It just looks really cool. It looks really heavy too, man. I mean, I'm sure it is. <laughs> that's kind of weird. Yeah, <laughs> that's why. That's why you only bring it out for one song. But yeah, and, and the bass has got to weigh a ton too. But yeah, it just, it just looks cool and. Again, like I said, the guys in the back, just the way it's orchestrated back there. Okay, we got to have this. Now I got to get this one up. And now the next one's ready and switch it out and make sure that the wireless is plugged in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there's no, you can't have any trip ups. It's got to be smooth into the next thing. Those guys are working real hard back there. And, you know, you got the guys who are doing the set pieces behind them, which I don't understand how they don't crash into each other. At one point in time, Alex is playing in front of the Marshall stack and there's a ladder back there. Like, you know that's there, right? I would hate to see him like swing the guitar around yeah. or something and hit it or trip over it or something. But then, and that's just kind of for show. I get it that those, you know, the stacks aren't really on because right. you're taking them away and the sound is still the same. But the way they coordinate all that, and then, you know, they had a couple of breaks where they would drop the curtain and then they would come back completely different. And, and at one point in time, about halfway through, they did switch out the entire drum kit, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. And then I was kind of excited because I thought the cymbals had like a, a red like finish on top of them, but it was just the way the light was hitting. Like, that would be really cool. But that brushed like stainless steel of that second kit that he had yeah. just looked 
phenomenal. Oh, cool, yeah. Yeah. Now, Getty's, the, the double neck Rickenbacker that Getty had looked super cool to me. Just the design of the body of the bass and guitar. I mean, it was, it, Mike from Genesis, the only other guy who needs such an animal, you know, or, or Daryl from his band to play songs where he's playing the other thing on. I don't know. Yeah, I, there aren't many. There are, well, first of all, there aren't many times where you would need it, and there aren't many guys that could pull that off. Either. Yeah, but back to Rush, man. So, I mean, overall, what did you think? What did, I mean, overall, it was a good night out. You glad you went? Okay, overall, yes. But I will tell you that at the end, I damn near stood up and applauded. I'm like, you're not really at the concert, dummy. Stay in your seat. That's, <laughs> I mean, it was just, it really was the closest thing to being at a show that I'd seen for a long time. I went to go see that movie, a Farewell to Kings, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, but that was way more interviews right. with the band and, and, and it was a good movie but this was really like you were there with the sound and the lights and everything mm -hmm. it was it was really I would have felt dopey but I I could just feel myself like yeah okay it's a movie stop so right. I, I mean I, I really liked it I'd like to go back and watch the original version just to see what the differences are mm -hmm. but I really like the fact that they they interviewed people because it just gave you a more of a sense of who these guys really are. Mm -hmm. And the, the, I don't think there's anyone I've ever heard. They're like, yeah, those guys are jerks. Not at all. Like they're just right. the, the greatest, most gracious, most professional people on the face of the earth. And even to see them doing the meet and greets, like I know Neil never did that, but he did it just because that's not him. He not just, what he likes. Yeah. He, he doesn't like doing that, but to see the two of them walk in and just be gracious to everybody. And, I understand you got to pay for it, but I mean, still, you want to you want to think that when you go and do that, and I know you've done that, so you can talk about it here in a second. You want to feel like, yeah, they're excited to see you. Like, this is your old friend. Oh, hey, there you are. I mean, did, did you get that feeling, or did you feel like you were just kind of being hustled through? There? No, they're nice. You know, Getty was saving his voice, so he kind of just said hi without making a lot of noise with his mouth. Alex was a little warmer, you know. It was when I was about to go to Australia. So I'm like, hey, guys, how about an Australian tour this year? You know, so I can see you down there. Yeah, nice. And, you know, let us put our arms around them and stuff like that. And, you know, what was cool is you you saw in the movie that Neil was planning his motorcycle journey between yeah. shows. And he's talking about how we realized we had these two days off. So I got with Michael so we could map this out. Well, Michael was his roadie, actually kind of his personal security guy really, and rode with him on the motorcycles, you know, in the different places. We, in his book, wrote, was it Roadshow? Um, I thought it was Ghost Rider. No, no, well, Ghost Rider was one of his books, but he, he wrote a book later, Roadshow, once he was okay. back, and, and talked about riding, you know, in between shows and stuff like that. I read it, it was great. I had my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, read it, and she really fell in love with Neil. And they had GPS systems, which would always take them inevitably at some point like down the wrong road or you know onto somebody's private land with no road out of there or something like that so they gave them names doofus and dingus to the to the gps's so we had shirts made doofus i had the doofus shirt she had the dingus shirt so when we went backstage and got our pictures taken with the boys we had those shirts on and then after we were with alex and getty michael grabbed us and he said hey wait guys get a picture with me over here and so we got a picture with him the two of us are there. I'm like, hey, show oh, these cool. to the professor, you know, tell him we said hello. Because you can't get your picture made with Neil. But we kind of got the next best thing. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, and, and that's, that is a cool thing that even for Rush fans, you know, it's something that he would say, oh, wait a minute, that's a deep, deep cut. Right. 
to grab you for that. But yeah, it was interesting to see Neil say, well, you know, GPS is, he never, I don't think he ever said doofus and dingus in the, no, in, no. in that part of the movie, but he was like, yeah, it, it won't even track this. So we're just going to take the map out and do this. But I remember in farewell to Kings, Michael was saying like, he's like, he's insane. He's mm-hmm. trying to kill me. Like we're riding like thousands of miles and mm-hmm. it's just, he just doesn't stop. He loves doing this. And to hear that, like, and I think, I think he's, I think Neil was older than Michael, mm-hmm. I think. And so he was like, yeah, this guy's like, he's more than my age. And yet is just, he just, he will never stop. Yeah. And, and Michael, I think was in the military. He, he's not soft, you know, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's pretty tough guy, you know, Neil told a story about like guys who, who, who followed them they, because what they do is they get on a bus and they ride out of there. And in the morning they get up and, and ride uh, their bike somewhere because they have a trailer behind them. And some kids thought it'd be a great idea to follow them. And Michael basically had to go back and stop the bus and say, you're going to stop following us right now, you know, and here's, Here's why, kind of thing. But the kids got the got the hint, obviously. Yeah, I, I saw an article with a guy who he had run into Neil at some gas station barbecue joint, just somewhere. Like he walked out, and there he's sitting at a picnic table, eating his sandwich, you know, reading a book or looking at the map or something. And the guy's like, "Hey, can I can I sit here? You know, is this seat open?" He's like, "Yeah, sure, no problem. Sit down." And so they, they, they get to talking, and I guess Neil looks at this guy's bike next to him or whatever, and says, "Isn't." whatever he'd done to the bike a little excessive. And the guy said to Neil, aren't like 400 drums excessive? And so he just said, touche. But the the interviewer was saying, whenever he tried to like, if he tried to kind of go rush, go music, mm-hmm. Neil would just kind of push it back to, I just want to talk about motorcycles. And, you know, I don't want to talk about anything that has to do with that. Travel, yeah. But he said, the interviewer guy said, he did ask him straight up. So, well, you know, where are you head? And the guy told him, oh, I'm going this way. Just so that it wouldn't be like, you know, uh, Neil says, oh, I'm going, oh, I'm going that way too. No, you're right. not. You told me more. <laughs> the same thing. Like, I don't want you. Yeah. Hey, you know, maybe we could ride again. No, no. listen, dude. I thank you. Great to meet you. Now get out of here. I'm going on my way. Yeah. Well, God, God love him. We, we definitely miss him. He made his mark on the world, made his mark on us, made his mark on drumming. So I'm glad they did this movie so we could see him one more time. That's, that's what I was thinking. And they showed him yeah. doing his drum solo and stuff like that. I'm like a lot of times a solo from somebody is a good time to go get a beer or take a bathroom break, but you never missed a second no. of the rhythm method or anytime he did his solo. And, and to say like, yeah, this this really is it. This is, you know, there's no more of that. Thanks for doing the movie because this is the only way we can see him anymore. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, the, the, the other cool part too is, not that I want to say that I forgot about them, but, you know, other stuff comes up, but it's something like this where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go back and listen to the back catalog and just kind of get into some of these things and remember, oh yeah, I like this song too. Oh yeah, I remember this one. So it, it's just a good reminder that the there is other stuff to listen to. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if they want to do something like this every I mean, maybe not every, they probably wouldn't do it every year but every other year or something that would be pretty cool whatever you put out i will watch i'd do it every year if i were them because there's only so many 40th anniversary records and 30th anniversary records you can put out and they're not gonna be able to do any more rush stuff i don't know that there's really anything in the catalog to put out they could put out more live records i'm sure mm-hmm. and so let's see what else they might have in the way of movie footage whether it's from back in the day or it's from other tours or, or whatever but hey it was fun it, it was a good yeah. night out i mean i was i, I haven't been out to, i still haven't been to a concert in almost two years obviously things are a little bit different there than they are here because you were in a packed house and I was in a place with about 20 folks. Yeah. Um, so a little different here in the UK versus well, over there. 
Yeah, and I was I was down in the great state of Florida, so I was uh, masks were not not an option for me. I, yeah. <laughs> no, I I put mine on, and I just sat there. And I don't care if no one else is wearing it. I'm wearing a mask in here because I don't trust any of you people down here in Florida. Smart idea. But um, yeah, it was it was really cool to see, and it was it's cool to see the Rush community come together. And the whole idea of the simulcast is cool because you saw it in London, and then I saw it. I mean, it had to be a couple hours later because it was in the United States, but right. still, just to say, hey, you know. It was almost like you saw a show together, even though you really didn't. It, exactly. It's just a cool concept. I agree. So that was our review of the Cinema Strangiato Director's Cut that came out on September the 9th worldwide for one night only. A really fun night, even though we were thousands of miles apart. It was like Jackson and I were able to watch it together, not sitting side by side, but of the same ethos. It was definitely fun to be out. It's the closest thing to a concert I've really seen in almost two years. And it was great to see and meet some other members of the Rush family who were in the same boat as the rest of us. Our band doesn't tour anymore. You can't go see live shows of any kind. And this is really a great way to still enjoy the tunes that we love so much. Now with that, we're now going to transition to the second part of our Rush doubleheader. And that's our review of Roll the Bones. As of this month, it is 30 years old, which is kind of amazing because that's when we started college. That's when Action and Jax and I first met as roommates in Orlando, Florida, and started to share our love of music with each other. And we'll get into how we discovered Roll the Bones and eventually not only saw them on tour, but camped out for tickets, which is a lost art. It's something kids today don't really understand, thanks to the internet. I guess it's both a good and a bad thing, that you don't have to sleep out to get your best seats, and that the artists can still get the money they deserve for their tickets. So let's not hesitate, let's roll right into the review of Roll the Bones right here on The Wolf. This week, I mean, just a few days ago as we're recording this, Jackson, it was the 30th anniversary of the release of Roll the Bones, which means it's we, we must have missed and not recognized the 30th anniversary of us introducing ourselves to each other in person in the dorm room at Rex Beach there in Rollins College. I can't. I can't even believe it's been 30 years. It, just, it seems like it seems like 30 years, but then it also seems like it was yesterday. Unbelievable. A lot of water under that bridge, but I'm I'm I guess the the, the deal for me on this is I'm just happy that we're doing this now, reconnected, doing the show, having a good time and and reliving some great memories. Mm. Because I've really gotten to appreciate all of this stuff more now that we're talking about it. For instance, the, this record, Roll the Bones, I haven't really thought about it in a while. And then you said, oh, yeah, let's do a show on this. And I, I went back and listened to it and said, yeah, there's, there's a lot of this, there's a lot of good tracks on this record. I, I have very fond memories of this one. Well, that's the thing. You know, a lot of music, it's emotional. It's not just the quality of the music, but it takes you back to a certain time when you have certain memories of where you were and, and who you were at that time and who you were with and that kind of thing. And, and a lot of music is like that. And that's why they say that, you know, you your musical taste forms by the time you're like 25 years old because that's when you have all these emotional moments and you go through all the stuff of growing up, all the experiences you have, the different friends and family members who you share all this stuff with. And then by the time you're in your mid to late 20s, it's not that you don't discover new music. It's not that new things don't turn you on, but it's all kind of part of all the impressions you've already had to kind of create your own musical palette or, or what you like, I guess. Mm -hmm. And this was, for me, the first Rush record that I kind of took ownership of. Mm -hmm. I had heard... 
I'd heard the back catalog. I guess I was in high school when Presto came out. Right. And I heard Superconductor and uh, Show Don't Tell. Uh, then we we hooked up at Rex Beach and you had the Chronicles two-disker. That's right. And that's a great like Rush 101, kind of get your feet wet, exactly. go through all the records. Uh, and I think there's like, there's at least two tracks from every record they put out, which is kind of cool because every one of them, it, there's something that you can listen to on it. And then this one came out. And so at that point in time, I was ready to really grab onto the, the Rush train with both hands and get into it. And so, yeah, th- this one, it, it might not be their most popular record. It might not be the most well-received, but to me, it always has a special place because it, it, to me, this was the new one. Now I was ready to, to get into the Rush fan club at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember, I remember when Show Don't Tell came out and it was a big deal because it's like Rush is back to being a power trio. You know, kind of throughout the 80s there, they were heavy into the keyboards, heavy into some computerized technology, which turned a lot of hardcore fans off, including a lot of professional musicians who I could name, who, who loved Rush. They loved the prog, heavy metal, 70s side of them. And then when they kind of got pop synth, it really turned them off. I, I liked it, uh, but it, it wasn't amazing. And, and it wasn't my, necessarily my favorite part of, the, of their catalog. I, I just like it all so much. And then now the new one comes out, and it's kind of a back-to-form thing. And they were on MTV when MTV played bands who wrote their own songs and played their own records, if, if you can imagine that, children of today. And then, yes, right after Presto, came Chronicles, and it had Show Don't Tell on it, except for maybe the live albums. You know, that was the only one that really only had one song on it, if I'm not mistaken, or a song off of it on Chronicles. But yeah, that was a great primer, so that if you're just getting into Rush now, you don't have to go back and buy, because Roll the Bones is their 14th studio album, and it comes out after three classic live albums, uh, All the World's a Stage, Exit Stage, Left, and A Show of Hands, all of which are great, so if you just caught up when we were, I'm 16 and Chronicles is out, and then I can get a feel for that back catalog. I'm like, wow, not only do I know a lot of these from classic rock radio over the years, and like, oh, that's Rush, oh, that's Rush. But then you get to learn some of their other tracks as well. And I'm like, wow, this is really an incredible body of work. I want to see them. And I didn't get to see them on Presto because when they came to Cincinnati, I was at basketball camp uh, and in a little place called Campbellsville University, which is off the beaten path in Kentucky. So I, I couldn't go like with my buddies. So when Roll the Bones came out and then we learned that they were going to be touring on it, that's when you and I decided we got to go get tickets. And it's the only time ever that you and I have ever camped out for tickets, which I guess is completely <laughs> unnecessary these days. <laughs> and, that, and that in of itself is a story. The Yeah, the up all night uh, in a strip mall in the greater Orlando area. But if I remember correctly, I really didn't have anybody in high school that was a super big Rush fan. Mm -hmm. I think where I went to school, it was we were everybody was really more into the the classic rock of the 70s. 
the Stones and Led Zeppelin and Rush was kind of more on the esoteric side. Like, yeah, everybody loved Tom Sawyer. Everybody loved the spirit of the radio. Right. And, but other than that, there were, there were only a couple of guys and they were kind of nerdy where I was. So it was like, oh yeah, Rush. Yeah, I heard about them, but yeah. And then, you know, Presto, it was not their, their most popular album. And it was certainly not popular where I was. So when I heard Chronicles, then that really changed my mind. And so, so yeah, when Roll of Bones came out, I was ready. I couldn't wait to see them live at that point in time. Right. That was going to be a big show. Plus, I heard, too, that they really played loud at the shows, which I thought was weird. Because I'm like, I thought these guys were, like, nerdy and, like, prog rocky. That doesn't translate to loud. But, yeah, I had, we, like, when we were camping out, people were like, no, it's going to blow the top of your head off. It's going to be so loud. And, and they weren't wrong. No, <laughs> they delivered. They, they delivered on that promise for sure. Yeah, no, it's, it is thinking man's rock. I don't even think I was familiar with the term progressive rock back then, to be honest with you. I, I don't think I'd even heard it at that point. They were just classic rock. And yeah, they're different. They're not the Rolling Stones. They're not 12-bar blues. They do different things. It's it's a lot more orchestrated. Their themes are a little bit different. But obviously the music was amazing. And to get all that sound out of three people is next to impossible. I'd like to see three other people make as much competent and melodic noise as Rush does. I, I mean, pick pick three and then stick them all together. I don't know. You want to take Mike Portnoy and you want to take, you know, whoever. Who, who are you going to get to do Getty Lee to play bass Lead bass, play keyboard with your feet, and sing lead vocals like Robert Plant. Give me their name. Right. I'll get in a band with them right now. Right. But I think that's what that's what always kind of turned people off, too. Like, you really had to. It was it was complex. It wasn't easy to get into. And they had a lot of, they have a lot of, there's a lot going on in the songs, and there's a lot of time changes. And it's not really traditional where you have the the riff and then everybody else is kind of just playing to support that and then there's the solo and then there's the guy singing nobody had ever heard anything like with the drum parts that Neil was laying down and so I don't want to say it turned a lot of people off I just don't think it was accessible to that many people you really had to you really had to want to listen to it but once you do that's the thing once you do, you say, "Oh, I was missing this. Mm-hmm. Why wasn't I? Why? Why wasn't I listening to this a long time ago?" Because, and for me, I'll, I'll be honest, it was because it wasn't cool where I was living, well, and, and I have to admit that I'm sorry, Rush Nation. Well, and it's not just where you were living, right? I mean, it's <laughs> it's pretty much all over. I mean, Nancy Wilson of Heart basically said it was like Rush was like a, a dog signal that only boys could hear, you know. Because girls generally, and I don't want to offend any female Rush fans because I know there's a lot of them out there, but girls generally didn't pick up on it. They're like, no, I like Peter Frampton. I like Fleetwood Mac. And and, and Rush is kind of too much to digest. They're not just love songs. They're not just songs about your average life, although a lot of them really are. It's just you have to peel back the layers a little bit. And you have to get through all that sound, which is very heavy metal and proggish. And obviously that's not for any everybody, male or female. But, right. But, you know, Neil would always tell stories of you can always see the guy who, who brought his girlfriend to the show because the guy's going, you know, he's drumming along to every part and singing every word. And the girl's sitting next to him like, what is this? What? Why did he bring me here? You know, kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. So that's that's kind of the, the, the long story of Rush. That's That's just kind of the way it's always been. But so, all right, at the end of the 80s, you know, their last album before Presto was 
hold your fire. And it got the line pretty badly. I think it's pretty good, at least for that era. I admit I don't listen to it a whole lot these days, but it was maligned for being too slick, too synthy, not nearly enough Alex Lifeson, not even nearly enough really Getty Lee based, just too over-programmed and all that. So they get together with a Rupert Hine, who I believe is an Englishman, and he's like, why did one of the all-time great power trios become this synth-pop thing? Let's take them back to the more creamish, you know, who kind of thing that they kind of grew up on and get them back rocking like that. And I think they made a really good step forward with Presto. And so then Roll the Bones, they look to kind of continue on that. But I think they've still added in some great synth and proggy elements to this. The songs aren't real long. They don't have any of the 8, 9, 10-a-minute epics like they had in the 70s. They're condensed in the 4- to 5-minute range, but there's still a lot of classic hardcore power trio stuff with those more melodic synth textures on this one. You know, it's funny because we were talking about the last couple of episodes we've been talking about Iron Maiden, and they pretty much did exactly the same thing. They got to that like 1990 mark and they just said, okay, we, we've gone as far as we can with the synthesizers and everything else. We need to strip it back. So it's interesting that the music kind of changed that, changed gears mm-hmm. or every people were kind of realizing at the same time, yeah, th- this is too much. We've gone in, in essence too far. It's too slick. We've gone too far away from our original deal. People want to hear the analog mm-hmm. sound, the more hard rock sound. And yeah, I, I, I agree with you on Presto and then, the Roll the Bones was like the next evolution of that, which was which was more of what we want to hear. I don't know. Synthesizers are they, they have a place, but I think they I think they kind of maxed it out by this point in time. Yeah, I agree with you there. And they kind of had this schedule of their first 16, I guess you can call it kind of t- first 20 albums. They'd make four studio albums and then they'd make a live album, four studio albums. And they make a live album. And so for their fourth kind of go here, which was Presto, then Roll the Bones, then Counterparts, then Test for Echo. To me, this is the high water mark of those four records. Because Counterparts didn't really didn't really resonate with me that much. It was kind of a letdown for me. Test for Echo was better than Counterparts for me, and the tour was killer. But still, I you know I would probably rank it Roll the Bones, Presto, Test for Echo, Counterparts of those four. Yeah, I would think I'm in the same boat too. The other problem too is that you know in 1991 when this came out, now we were into the grunge sound, and so I understand that Rush was never a a, a popular band in the mainstream that people were going to run out and buy, but. But I think by counterparts, they had kind of, that had kind of moved on. And so, yeah, it just kind of fell a little bit flat. I was excited to hear that record. I own that record, but yeah, it's not, of those four, I would say you're right. That's probably the, the in the number four slot. Yeah, definitely. And when you mentioned the whole grunge thing, I mean, that happened, but you and I kind of avoided it, to be honest with you. We had Brendan next door who was way into Nirvana the second it hit, and way into Pearl Jam and, 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 and all that stuff. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm glad you like that. But the fact the matter is at the exact same time here roll the bones comes out and we're way into that and metallica's black album comes out and that was a juggernaut and the usual illusion albums come out you know and then the next year def leopard is back you know uh, with adrenalize so it's like yeah i'm gonna let the grunge thing pass 
And I'm going to hang on to these big albums from these big bands that I still love. Like Dire Straits came back, you know, stuff was still happening. Now for the record companies, it started to change right away once Nirvana hit. But it took a little longer for the touring and the big albums to, to clear out. By 93, maybe everybody was gone, especially the mid-level bands were gone. But still very top-heavy in the 91, 92 for those bands that we love and still love. And to this day, I don't give a shit about Nirvana. I don't have any of their records. If you reincarnated Kurt Cobain, I wouldn't walk across the street to see them play. Sorry, Dave Grohl. I love Foo Fighters. You're the last rock and roll band standing. But Nirvana still doesn't resonate for me. Yeah, I think we, in out of the grunge bands that came out, especially, well, the grunge albums that came out in 91, I think we picked through and, and kind of stuck more to the the hard rock, stuff that was more hard rock, like Soundgarden, Alice in Alice Chains, in Chains yeah. more than, than Nirvana. I saw an article, maybe it was yesterday, about how the 25 grunge bands that should have been bigger but never were. I'm like, I've never even heard of these things. So we never really went down that road. We, we stuck to the tried and true. But you know, the, the, the albums that you just named, I mean it wasn't just that they were from the, the bands that we liked. They were all killer records. So mm-hmm. this was a great time. 91 was a really great time for kind of more like the classic hard rock sound, even though the mainstream was kind of shifting toward grunge. Right. Yeah, that 91, we could do a whole show on 1991 and all those albums. That would be pretty cool. That'd be fun. Yeah. And we could just malign like, okay, you want some poor kid who needs a bath? <laughs> with 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 you know terrible interpersonal skills that's your hero because because that wasn't you know that that wasn't my experience i mean look i'm glad that people who felt left out and you know, in high school and didn't realize that high school is just a blip it's not really that important in your life it seems like a big deal at the time but if you're not fitting in it, you know you're going to be fine you know just just get past it but it's like that guy's your hero yeah he's an anti-hero for a reason well anyway we're not gonna we're not gonna Go off on We're not getting into that. Yeah, what a loser the, the, the one thing that the one thing that I never knew about Rush until I saw the movie A Farewell to Kings is how hard these guys work. Mm. And I think that's always been the hallmark of their appeal and their charm is that they just grind it out. I mean, you were they they were when did the the first album come out? Nineteen seventy seven. No, seventy four. So okay, so seventy four. So from seventy four to ninety one, you put out. 14 records. I mean, they never really took a break. They were just pounding it out. And and to me, that's that's awesome because they, they never gave up. And they just toured and toured in a van until they could they could make headliners mm-hmm. at small places and then you headline at bigger places. And so to see them play live in 1991 after being together that long, the show itself did not disappoint at all. I mean, that's probably to this day one of the best shows. The sound, the mm-hmm. production, the way they played together is just fantastic if you never well if you never got to see rush at this point in time i'm sorry for you because right. it's it, it's it the musicianship was top notch yeah and, and i saw them 12 times basically on every tour after that 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 was my first one march 2nd in the orlando arena 1992 with you and spitz and kel it was a blast and i guess the anticipation was part of it too because we had camped out I hadn't seen 10 big rock shows at that point in my life. And so I I hold it in high esteem. And I was just looking at the set list. Uh, It was amazing. You know, and eventually they ended up playing longer because they have Candlebox open for them on that. 
tour or uh, well, I don't Primus. We saw them uh, with Primus. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, is Primus on that tour? Candlebox was on the next one, and then after that, they just started doing an evening with Rush, so they could play more. Instead of playing two hours, they played two and a half, three hours. And you know, it's it's also hard to find bands that that fit with their sound. Yeah, i.e., Candlebox. So, but yes, they went back to uh, Quebec to Le Studio, uh, which for those of you who don't speak French is French for the studio, um, and to uh, which they recorded a lot of great albums there, including, if I'm not mistaken, Moving Pictures. And they ripped through these things. And, you know, Roll the Bones is kind of a euphemism for rolling the dice, taking a chance. And then they kind of tied the idea of chance into basically every one of these songs. Now, it's not a concept album, but there's kind of a loose theme around the whole thing, really. Yeah, and it, the other thing was the, the first track, Dreamline, that mm-hmm. was the, fir- it's the first track on the record, and it was the first single they released. And the song itself is really cool, but then you start to listen to the lyrics and then you start to dive a little more into how Neil wrote the lyrics and he's watching a program on Nova about mm-hmm. the star. Wait a minute. This isn't like Motley Crue where it's like, yes, I met this girl and then these at things happened. <laughs> yeah, at a strip club. And then we went out drinking. It's like, wow, this guy really takes a long time to think about this and, and abstract thoughts and really diving into that the two things shouldn't go together. Right. You shouldn't have this complex scientific thought and a rock and track behind it and a, and a single that you can play on the record. I mean, on the radio, but they can bring it all together. Yeah. He's too smart to be a rock star, really. And that's basically Correct. why they let him write the lyrics. They're like, look at the books he reads. Listen to the mm-hmm. words he uses in conversation. I bet he could write some songs, you know. So that's the way it worked for a long time. And you're right. Open it with Dreamline. Boom, 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 boom. He's got that Getty lead, you know, just driving bass at the beginning of it. But it also, when they're, when we are young and they get into the groove of it, that cool yeah. bass groove, it's not hard driving. It's funky. You know, it's got a nice groove to it. It's not just heavy. But they brought back more of Alex's heavy riffs, which I appreciate it. And it's a great song. It's a great song live, great song, great way to, to open the album. Yeah, and, I, and, and the other thing I was looking at, too, was that there really are only two singles off of this. Mm-hmm. Official singles. But they played a lot of this on rock radio back in the day. I mean, there were, there were pretty much the entire, well, I won't say the entire record, but there, there was a lot of this. That was played. I think the classic rock, hard rock community really gravitated toward this. They really wanted a new Rush record, Mm -hmm. something they could get their hooks into. And this has a lot of radio friendly tracks on it. I I would agree with that. You know, they they played half of the record live when we saw them, and they and and it never it it never seemed like uh here's another one off this record. Exactly. Oh, I want to hear this also. Yeah. Because when they did Clockwork Angels and they they played you know nine or something songs off of like okay you 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 couldn't fit in Natural Science instead of one or two of these are you sure about that guys you know. But no, they all fit in well. Half the record is great. Well, the whole record is great, but half the record all fit in well live. Dreamline, they played that for a long time. The second song, Bravado, I think is a pretty special song. It's a little different. It's not a hard rocker. It's a little softer. And of course, I didn't realize at the time, going back and doing research for this, that this is almost, it's not a sequel to the past. But it's about not giving up when times are down, staying confident, keeping going, and not ending your life by suicide, which I guess the past kind of relates to. And when we saw them play, Jackson, 
they kind of introduced like when they did the past, they said, this is one of our very favorites, like of all time, of all the songs we've done. This is one of our very favorites. I didn't know that. So I was familiar with the past because I'd heard it on Presto because I played that a hundred times. But then when they said that, suddenly it took on new meaning to me. I'm like, oh, well, this is so important to them. Then I need to sit up and pay attention. And obviously, lyrics like if we burn our wings flying too close to the sun, the music stops and it's the only the sound. You know, this is, these are thoughtful lyrics. It's softer. This is one, you know, you, you'd be glad you brought your girlfriend to, you know. And I think it's a beautiful song and not one they played enough, really throughout the years if you ask me it's a great song and the lyrics once you get into it are pretty heavy duty but if you take a step back the riff on this is really cool i it's it's not super hard but it's very catchy i think it's what it's one of my favorite intro riffs on this record and maybe of all time with just the one that you could almost play yourself you know you could probably mm-hmm. figure it out and it's it, yeah it's it's very dynamic and it's very catchy and the solo is great you yes. know it builds up to the point and then he, he jams on it, and then it's back for music. And when the music stops, boom. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's a great song. It's, it's great in their catalog. I, I like, well, I don't know if they would put, I, if they were going to do uh, Chronicles 2, and they were just going to put two songs from every album on there, they'd probably put Dreamline and Ghost of a Chance, or Roll the Bones, maybe. Mm-hmm. Bravado would probably get left off. But that would be a shame, because I, I think it's, it might just be the best song in the record. Yeah, I, I think I would all, I would agree with you on that. But it's one of those ones that if you once you get to it, you say, "Well, how come I've missed this this mm-hmm. entire time?" This is a really great song. It's it's a very cool album cut. All right, so, that's, so we love that one. Now next is the title track, "Roll the Bones." Mm-hmm. And I, I was listening to the Shout It Out Loud cast guys the other day, and they're bagging on a song like this song sucks. I'm like. And and one of them, I think uh, Tom's a really big fan, actually. And I get it. I remember when I first heard it. I I like the opening riff. I like the song in general. It's hard driving. But it's a little quirky. And then the rap at the end. (laughs) I remember the first time I heard it. I'm like, uh. And this is the title track. This is why I didn't buy it new. I went to the Park Avenue CDs to buy it used once somebody had listened to it for two weeks and then turned it in. Yeah, that that was a little like you were kind of just trying to, I, I think it was more like tongue in cheek, like, look, we can do a rap. Right. Know, look at us. Ha ha ha. It's I mean, they're fun. Canadian. Yeah. They have a different sense of humor than we do in the United States. This was, what I see here in front of me, this was not released as a single, even though it was all over MTV. And the radio. And I watched the video for it and it's it's rough it's it's a very you can tell it's very early 90s the effects are it looks like somebody made it on a home computer i'm sure it cost them a lot of money back then but it's very dated yeah if there's one track on here that's kind of a sign of the or a symbol of the times it's this one they they tried to be of the time and yeah this one didn't age well it's got parts to it yeah the the you know the the baseline is cool and the the riff is kind of cool, but yeah, that rap part is just like okay. Yeah, that's that's weird. And, and we used to just laugh at each other after a few beers. We'd say, "Why are we here? Because we're here. Roll the bones." You know, yeah, take a chance, whatever. Now I'll tell you when they did it live. 
because there was a rumor that that rap part was actually done by Neil. Obviously, he wrote it, so it was the rumor that they did that, and then they, you know, used the tech to, to lower his, his voice. voice. Yeah. yeah. But then when we saw it live, it, it was Getty doing it, but they turned down the stage lights, they put on the projector, and it was the skeleton doing the rap that I guess was yeah. maybe from the video. I gotta say that was actually kind of cool to see it live, but I mean, it's still, that part of the song is still odd. And I know they weren't trying to get into hip hop. They weren't trying to, to do rap. It was, they were just trying to have a little bit of fun, but it's still, yeah. I mean, look, Roll the Bones is a great turn of phrase. It conjures up great images, but the song, yeah, I like most of it. <laughs> I guess is the way I put it. <laughs> well, I mean, they can't, they can't all be your favorites. Right. Um, there are, you can pick out pieces of the song that you can like, but then, yeah, just, we can move on from there. Yeah, well, you move on to Face Up. And this is one that I, I didn't really like either. Not necessarily, I didn't like the music, but the, the whole chorus, the face up, and face, I just, I for some reason, it just, I didn't like this one that much. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. There really isn't anything. It's not a bad song, but I think it, there's nothing really dynamic about it. It, it just it almost gets lost in the rest of this record. You're like, yeah, 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 moving on. Yeah, I, it just it, it didn't have it didn't have anything that to me made it special. Yeah, you know, and, and turn it up or turn that wild card down. I get it. It's part of the gambling thing. Allegedly, this was like the first lyrics that Neil wrote for the record, so this kind of helped put them on the path. So I guess it has some value there, but I don't know. I just, I, it wasn't my favorite and it's still really not my favorite. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would purposely turn it off if I was listening to the whole thing, but it's not, not my favorite. I'd turn it down until the next one came on. <laughs> but where's my thing? You know, part four of a trilogy on books. <laughs> Or it, it was hold on. What's that called? It was Gangster of Boats. Yes, because which I, I guess was a was a joke between Lee and Lifeson, where they said if if Neil couldn't come up with a title, they were going to use Gangster of Boats as the title of the record, and they so you know ha ha ha. And then and I remember looking at that, thinking, wait a minute, what part four trilogy? Okay, yeah, this is something's going on here that you're this it, this doesn't make sense. Well, yeah, there's. there's the trilogy is only three parts, so they're yes. part four, right? Um, yeah. yeah, but it was their first real instrumental since YYZ on mm -hmm. a record. And YYZ, of course, is a classic, real big crowd, crowd pleaser uh, for Rush fans. So they did it, and it's good. And the thing is, it's a, it's just it's a real song. It just doesn't have any lyrics. It doesn't have any singing, but it still has... I Parts where you could have a chorus and has a bridge and solo and all that. It's nearly four minutes long. It's really good. And when they played it live, it was great. And if I'm not mistaken, it they play that and then Neil goes into his drum solo. He goes into the rhythm. I, yes, I think, yeah, you're correct. And and back then, when we saw them on this tour, he, he had the one solo, mm -hmm. the one long solo. And then after that, he started to break it up, which I like better. I, I like the shorter, smaller, shorter parts, mm -hmm. but broken up in the show. Because it, the one long solo after a while, you're like, my head is going to explode. I can't take this anymore. But yes, it, to see him do that is great. And this is a good intro into that because it kind of fades out a little bit, if mm -hmm. I remember correctly. And then they walk off. Lee and Lifeson walk off. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, here we go now because 
here comes the big, you know, centerpiece of this deal, which is the solo. Right. And it kind of gives Getty a halftime break for his voice, right? Because they get this four minute song where there's no scene. Then they get his drum solo, which is, I don't know, is that seven or eight minutes, something like that, you know, before he comes back to do Closer to the Heart. So, yeah, I mean, Getty probably really appreciated it because eventually once they became or began to do an evening with Rush, they took a break. They would do an hour and 10 minutes or whatever it was, and then they would stop. And Getty would go back and check his fantasy baseball scores or whatever. <laughs> and then they come back and do the, the second bit. But, you know, back then it was like you're, you're singing your heart out. All right, now let's do a thing where I don't have to sing for about 15 minutes. That would good, be good. Give me a little bit of break there. So uh, I, I think this is a standout. It's it's probably one of those that could have won, you know, like a, one of those Grammys for best rock performance you know, without a vocal or whatever, like Behind My Camel did for the police back in the day. And, and it's not that Getty doesn't, he plays a mean bass in the songs that he sings, but it, it just seems like on this one, since he's not, it, he kind of can get into this, I don't want to say more of a groove, but a different kind of groove. Mm-hmm. And this is a cool, I don't know if it was written as an instrumental or if they had written it to be a, an actual song, because you're right, it, it could be the way it's composed. But it was cool to hear another instrumental because we were such big fans of YYZ. Well, it, it was. They, you know, they actually made it as a intended as an instrumental, and they said we're going to okay. make this into a song, but just without lyrics, Neil. So just you know, lay your lyrics off this one. We'll, we'll write it as a song, and we'll just leave it as an instrumental. That was their intention, and I think it worked out really well. Yeah. It sounds great to this day, and not one that you wanted that you would want to skip. It's it, you can listen to the whole thing and appreciate the the musicianship that they have and the interplay between the three instruments. It's almost like what I what I really like about Rush on a lot of these uh, songs is that it's almost like the three of them are soloing at the same time, mm-hmm. and to to be that tight is is something that I don't I don't really think any other band can do it like that. Yeah, it's a special kind of spiritual magic between the three of them that we may never see again all right let's gotta change the channel change the subject before i start to cry damn it yes all right let's move on please so next week and i guess it's technically side two we only ever had this on cd so it's right song six the big wheel and i remember this one there's usually one that i forget i I don't know that I really forgot any of these. This is one that, again, it's a little softer when they're doing playing for time, looking for love, playing with fire. When I was a kid cruising around in a trance, it's a great song, It's but it's a little softer. It's not... It's it's a more mature person's perspective. They're not like Kiss. They're just talking about hooking up and partying from the time you're 21 to the time you're 71. There's a little bit of maturity, especially coming from Neil. And I feel like that's, you're on the big wheel and you're going around. And, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a leap of faith. Sometimes you go the wrong way. But just got to kind of just keep at it. Yeah. And, and on this one, on this record, unfortunately, this one kind of gets it kind of like it's better than face up but this is one that kind of gets lost too because there are so many tracks that you love mm-hmm. it, this one it, yeah it is a little softer you have to be in the spirit of wanting to listen to the whole record to get into this one it's five minutes and 13 seconds a little long to be a single yeah maybe even even in the early 90s and i, I feel yeah. a lot about the, the same way about heresy even you know the, the next song that comes after i mean I, I remember big wheel better than heresy and i had to listen to it a couple of times to say okay yeah i remember this but you know kind of what's it about look i didn't always listen to the lyrics 
in these or read them and really try to understand exactly what they were getting into. I wanted to hear the song, hear the rhythm, hear the beat, hear the textures, and really hear Getty's voice more as an instrument than exactly the words he was saying and what they meant. I guess heresy has a little bit more to do with Neil's, you know, political ideas and inspired by the events surrounding the fall of communism in Eastern Europe and stuff like that. So it's it's kind of got a good beat pulse to it, but it's it's not one that I and, and and the name I I never could have picked out the name like the big wheel. They talk about the big wheel spins and the big wheel. There's no chorus that says heresy or anything like that so i never would have I, just, I didn't remember i didn't know the name of this song to be quite honest with you well and i think this one maybe out of any other song on this record really kind of nails rush essence of rush where it's like yeah you can really spend a long time it, this isn't you know christine's 16 okay we got that thank you it's it's the more that you listen to it you can really go you can really spend a lot of time listening to these right it's very it's layered mm-hmm. and i think that's really why people have either you love them or you don't love rush because you can't you don't want to spend that much time with a song you can spend a lot of time listening to it, and then you start to think about oh yeah what was going on at this time in the in the world mm-hmm. and they put a lot of thought and and effort into all of these songs and so they're not they're not accessible they're not easily accessible you have to spend time with them yeah listen to the last the bloody revolution all the warheads in its wake all the fear and suffering all a big mistake all those precious wasted years Mm-hmm. And the way he sings it, all those precious wasted years, it makes it into a pretty song. But you're talking about something pretty heavy, you know, people losing their freedoms and their lives, living under control, and finally getting it back. And it's like, what was the point of all that? Mm-hmm. Not you make me rock hard by Kiss, right? <laughs> and and you know, all of these themes we're still, you know, we're still living with today. You could apply it to what's going on. So it, it it's a pretty timely, timely thoughts and themes in this one. Yeah, or timeless, unfortunately, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and then the eighth song, Ghost of a Chance. Now, this was kind of a hit, wasn't it? But they released this, didn't they? This this was a single, and yeah. I remember and, and and here's when I this is this part in time is kind of hard for me because I remember this song and I remember it I remember it being played a lot so I think it was a hit mm-hmm. on mainstream radio I love this song and it was one of the one of the singles released yes yeah and so maybe it didn't it didn't go anywhere on any of the charts maybe I, I don't know but I just remember hearing it a lot and I'm like well it's a, it's a pretty song it's a nice song and when they they bring it down it, it really slows it down like it's it's the get your lighters out sound not the get yeah. your cell phones out Get your lighters out, son. You know, and, and they stop it down to it's just bass and a little ambient music. He's talking about not believing in destiny or the guiding hand of fate. And the lyrics are very Neil in that, you know, he's not, not into your prescribed religions. I might believe in spiritualism or higher power. Yeah. But I'm not believing in your church, your synagogue, your mosque. And I believe we can find someone to love. Universal message. And then Alex has that kind of just sustain on his guitar, hitting those few notes. And then, yeah, they they pick it up and do a loud kind of rush rock solo Mm -hmm. before they bring it back again. So I think it's a great song. They did play it live for us. And I'm so glad they did. It was... uh, it's awesome. And my wife likes it and dragged her to several Rush shows. And I think this is one she really likes. <laughs> 
You didn't mention kicking and screaming. Yeah, th- th- this is a great song. I love listening to it. I think it's a good standalone song, mm-hmm. but I also think it fits well in the, the kind of the the flow of the record also. I agree. I agree. Big part of the record as far as I'm concerned. Certainly the standout on what would be side two. Yes, correct. Uh, definitely the second half. Neurotica is the ninth song, and... Uh, it's just weird to me a little bit. It's not bad, but when they do neurotica, exotica, it's just psychotica, chaotica. I'm like, yes, I know you're smart and you know big words and stuff. <laughs> um, Stop showing off. You know, yeah, fortune is random and fate shoots from the hip. It's again part of the gambling and chance theme that's been a part of it. But that whole neurotica, exotica, oh, it's melodic. It's just still not my favorite. Yeah, I, I would have. I would agree with you. Also, it's it, yeah. I don't know. It just didn't resonate with me. It's not a bad song. It just didn't it, for the rest of the thing. The rest of the tracks on here, and and this is I think where you have a problem with a record like this. You have so many songs that you like. They can't all be hits. There are going to be some misses, mm-hmm. and, and I think this is one of them because almost sounds like you're just rhyming words together. Okay, you know what's what goes with this? Oh, this word. So yeah, it's it, not not my favorite either. Yeah, and then I think you bet your your life is one that you know it just kind of rounds out the album, and we maybe at that point had turned the turned it down a little bit because Ghost of a Chance is a beautiful song but it's a pretty song so you can kind of turn that down a little bit mm-hmm. and then I didn't have to hear that neurotic exotica too loud <laughs> um, the odds get even you know it's kind of pushing the gambling thing a little far here but mm-hmm. now that I'm looking at the lyrics just another hunter like a wolf in the sun anything with wolf I like just another junkie on a scoring run. Just another victim of the things he has done. Just another day in the life of a loaded gun. These are great lyrics. There's a lot of good stuff in here. It's just, I feel like at this point, it's like we weren't paying attention anymore. Yep. Uh, you know, like the volume was down. We've already heard the best uh, or the ones that we like the best off the album. And we're, we're ready to put on something like The Cult or, or, you know, move on to something else. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you also. This is another five-minute one. You're, you've come to the end of it. You know it's the end of the record. Yeah, it, again, not a bad song. I think it just kind of gets lost with everything else on here. And so someone might say, well, do you even like this record? Because we just trashed, you know, almost half or, you know, said it wasn't our favorite. And I'm like, no, that's... That's not the point. Right. The answer to the question would be, yes, I like this record. I love this record. But it doesn't mean that you have to love every single track off of it. It's it's the collective. Exactly. And it's thought. also about our sharing it together, right? We were 18, 19 years old. We were 18 yeah. when it came out. We were 19. You were 19 when we saw them play live. And we camped out on the sidewalk. Basically didn't sleep, just kind of sat there in the cold. But it's, it's, or- it's Orlando, folks, so don't feel too bad for us. <laughs> hey, we, yeah, we didn't we didn't get frostbite, don't worry. It's it's cold. It's sixty-one, you know. It's <laughs> it's three in the morning, you know. Don't don't worry about us too much. But but when we saw them, they did half the album. They started with Force Ten, Limelight, Free Will. Oh my god, we were in heaven, man. Well, and I think that if I remember correctly on that show, they hadn't played Limelight in a while. I guess so when we I was like okay cool I'm happy to hear this but the hardcore guys in the thing they flipped out because it had been such a long time and to to think that they didn't play 
say limelight is kind of crazy because that's a that's the one of the all time big ones for the band. Absolutely, it is for me. It's it's certainly one of my top five favorites, maybe top three of all time. I remember it was a big deal that they were bringing it back. It was, yeah, and you know you, you have to fil- you know filter things in and out. And there's seven songs on Moving Pictures. You can't play all seven of them every tour. You know so. Some come in, some come out. You have to play Tom Sawyer. You have to play three songs off that album, you know, like Red Barchetta, which they did a a bit of in the end. Their encore was Spirit of Radio, and then they did the Overture for 2112. They did part of Finding My Way. They did part of La Vila Strangiato. They did part of Anthem, and they did part of Red Barchetta before they brought it back to Spirit of Radio to kind of just like, boom, wrap it up. Yeah. So you have to do a few things from that album, but I'm I'm so glad they brought Limelight back. And, of course, they did Subdivisions, which brings it down, brings the house down on a Rush show. That was the whole, before Nirvana, that was what you listened to when you didn't fit in in high school, right? Right. Yeah, but I, I was never a big fan. Well, I, not that I wasn't a big fan, but I never really kind of connected with Force 10. But when they started the show with that, that was awesome. The mm-hmm. drum beat at the beginning, and the, they have a little, I think it was from a show of hands. They did a little video intro to it. Mm-hmm. It was a great way to start a show and just got everybody, they go from zero to 60 right off the bat. And then to go into limelight after that, uh-oh, we yeah. were, then we were rolling. Then they're on their feet for sure. Not that yeah. we ever sat down once. I mean. I don't think so. Not, not yeah, once, that was it. You know? I mean, the sad thing is, even though we camped out for tickets, we were close, but we weren't that close. I mean, we, we were on the side. Relatively close to the stage. I, I was really happy with the seats, but I was also like, we camped out for these seats, you know? I, I thought the same exact thing. I thought, like, I thought camping out was going to be like, oh my goodness, it's the fourth row. This is so great. Yeah, so to get there, I'm like, oh, well... But I mean, the, the camping out was part of the experience. So by that point in time, by the time we actually got to the show, I was like geeked out of my mind because we listened to the record. We, we heard about the show. We got the tickets. Now it's time. Okay, here we go. And it's really cool to be at a Rush show. And uh, I noticed this on when I went to see them for the Clockwork Angels tour. All the crusty people that come out of the woodwork and they've got like either patches or buttons or mm-hmm. some shirts from tours of yesteryear. Like, wow, you guys have been fans. And not like a... Not a shirt that you from an old tour that you bought now. Right. No, you've had that since 1982. That thing has been cared for and preserved, and you brought it out of the archives for tonight's show. It's 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 a very cool communal experience. It's awesome. And I was thinking after doing all those 80s shorter synth things, they did break out Xanadu for us, which was awesome, yeah. nice long one, and then the, the encore, which is about six or seven different songs all kind of amalgamated together. That's one long one too. I mean, they didn't do all of La Vila Strangiato, but they they did a huge chunk of it, you know. They didn't do all of 2112, but they did the overture. For the hardcore fans who want to see those more epic songs, they gave you a little taste of it, and then right. they, they brought, you know, and five new songs, which was, in order, number six, Dreamline, Bravado, Roll the Bones. Then they did Show, Don't Tell, Big Money. Then they did Ghost of a Chance, which was a nice breakdown. And like we mentioned, they did uh, Where's My Thing before they did let Neil do his drum solo. So I don't know if it was the best set list. It was a great one that I've ever seen. But I, I it was a very special night that we got to see him together, especially after camping out. 
First time we ever saw Rush. I didn't know I was going to go to see him 12 times. I would have seen him 120 times if I'd had the wherewithal to do it. You just, you went through that track list for a show that was not a greatest hits, like not an R30 or R40 Mm -hmm. or Time Machine. That's a pretty good cross-section of the entire catalog up to that point and and i really liked the the fact that they did the deal at the at the end where they played the snippets of songs because you, you're right you can't sit they, they can't play all of those things you right. can't play xanadu in its entirety you just and lavila strangiato correct yeah I mean, so that's to crazy. have just a little taste kind of like you know the a sampler platter if you will was pretty cool yeah yeah, it, it was great. And I recall one of the rock radio stations, there are really only kind of two that we listen to all the time, but one of them did something called Concert Instant Replay. So that once the concert was over, like the DJ of the station would come out and give the song list to their colleague to play on the radio. So uh, then yeah. they played, obviously, the studio versions, but they played it on the radio afterwards. So when you're driving home, you can hear it again. And we got our buddy Sean to record it for us. He hit mm-hmm. record on a forty on a 90-minute cassette. And we're like, come on, Mike, we got to get home because we got to get back because I'm going to have to flip the tape, you know, at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but we made it, and I still have the tape. I don't know if I have anything to play it on anymore, but I still have the tape. Well, that concludes our double header on Rush, the director's cut of Cinema Strangiata that was so much fun to be able to get out and go see in the theater. Even though Jackson and I were an ocean apart, we could still see it on the same night see the boys again one more time, and enjoy the songs that we love. And of course, doing the 30th anniversary of Roll the Bones, which is really special for us because it came out like the week we met in college. We lived together freshman and sophomore year in college, and that record came out basically the same time we met. And of course, camping out for tickets and seeing our first Rush show together on that tour brings back very special memories, and we are happy to share them with you here today. We really appreciate anybody who's still listening. This is about double the length of any previous show we've ever done. And so if you're still listening right now, we really appreciate you. We really hope you enjoy the show and are downloading and subscribing. And if you have the time, maybe go out and give a positive review so you can help find more listeners like you and eventually maybe get some more resources and cool interviews for the show. So with that, just a little bit of housekeeping. As usual, you can see all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. And of course, you can subscribe at Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow us on Twitter at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. Let us know which bands and albums you would like us to review. Maybe we'll do a show on it one day. Next week, we have a big surprise coming with a special guest. Don't want to give too much away. It will be on a band we've reviewed in the past, but this will be a different album and we'll get a different perspective. So please tune in for that. Our shows come out on Thursdays. And with that, folks, hey, all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.